I'm Al Letson, and you're listening to State of the Reunion. Today we have something a little different. One of my favorite independent producers and friend, Lou Okowski, has been telling me the strangest story about a tiny community in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. Lou? I gotta be honest, Al, before I went out there, I never knew there was an Appalachian part of Ohio. Yeah, you, you don't really hear about it much. I know, but there's so much there. I've never been anywhere like it. But, Lou, tell them what the strange part is. Well, it's about an African-American community. Um, and even though they call themselves black, and even though they've been discriminated against for being black, in a lot of cases, they look white. Blue eyes, fair skin, red hair. When Lou first told me about this place, I have to admit I was confused. A town of black people who look white but have been discriminated against because they're black. What? I mean, I've never heard anything like it. So I had to see it for myself. And so in this hour of State of the Reunion, Lou, who's been following this story for a while, agreed to let us tag along. Now, before we get started, you need to know that some people use the N-word in this episode. We've kept it to a minimum, but we've left it in where it feels like it's a part of the story. So you may want to prepare yourself. Okay, so Lou, where in Ohio are we talking about exactly? We're talking about two towns. One you can find on the map, and the other you can't. That one's East Jackson. It's not a city, a town, or even a village. There's only one gas station, a country store, and a bar. So everyone goes to the other town, to Waverly, to go to school, the doctor, the bank, to buy food, for just about everything, really. Waverly is the town you can find on the map. So that's where we're going to start. Blaine? We're at the home of Blaine Beekman, a retired high school history teacher, coach, and the former mayor of Waverly. Hey, Lou. Hey. Yeah. How are you? Uh, you're greeted by me and the dog boat. Before we can even speak to Blaine, he introduces yeah. us to Bradley and Sarah Harris. Listen, I got some people I'd like to introduce you to. They are the patriarch and matriarch of East Jackson. Now, are you, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Bradley is an older gentleman, 76 to be exact. He's wearing a World's Best Dad t-shirt and a baseball cap that's kind of bent and pushed back just far enough to see his hair, pure white and wispy. Bradley's anxious to get started. How did you find out it was East Jackson? Well, when I first came here... Mm-hmm. Somebody told you it was East Jackson, right? Someone told me it was East Jackson, uh-huh. and someone said, well... There's yeah. a bunch of black people, but okay. none of them none look of black, black. Right. and uh, and they all live out in uh, this one place right. in East Jackson, and uh-huh. if you're going out there, you'd be real careful. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, but when we were in Waverly, I have to say, I would never see any black people, so I was always kind of like, where are these mystical black people they're talking about, because I'm not seeing them. <laughs> well, I'm one of them. I am a black person. But there's a way I got to be that way, and I got to be that way in East Jackson. Let's break in here to remind you that Bradley, he doesn't look particularly black. I thought I was Orish than I was anything else because I always had red hair and I wrinkled real well. Bradley's wife, Sarah, also from East Jackson, has similar features, reddish hair and fair skin with freckles. I just thought I was black. That was it. Bradley thought the same thing until he left East Jackson to join the Army. they come over the PA system and said, uh, Private Harris, Private Bradley Harris and Private Delbert Harris, will you please report to the office? 
Delbert was Bradley's cousin. Me and him was in there in boot camp together. They went over to the office where they met the major in charge of their platoon, and he was black. And he said, uh, this birth certificate, that ain't right. That race on her ain't right. And I said, well, I'm telling you, I've been this way for all of my life. 21 years, and he's been that way for all his life. He said, are you, you're going to sit there and tell me that you guys are Negro. What did he do after that? You never had to do anything. He was with the officers all the time. Bradley can't say he got special treatment, but it sounds like the officer was moved to see a man who looked as white as Bradley so matter-of-factly defend being black. Remember, this was in 1958 in the South, during the height of the Civil Rights Movement. Now, the truth is, Bradley and Sarah, like most people in East Jackson, are mixed race. They got this much white to have black. African-Americans, German, Irish, and Native American people have been intermarrying for almost 200 years. The black, the orange, the white, and everybody got along good. But as soon as it went to Waverly, uh-uh. They didn't want nothing to do with anything out of East Jackson because you're messing with the black. The one-drop rule taken to the absolute extreme. In other parts of the country, you might not consider yourself black if you only have a grandfather or a great-grandfather who's black. But here, being part black, no matter how small the part, makes you black. Let me say this. this. The people in Waverly, if your last name was Harris, you could be as white as that is right there, but if your last name was Harris, you was black. Okay? They think, oh, well, East Jackson, black neighborhood. Yeah, and you always hear, you know, that they will talk to you about the fact that these people have red hair and freckle faces. That's Blaine Beekman, who introduced us to Bradley earlier. People perceived to be black were victims of discrimination. In terms almost as you think of black communities inside of a city, that's predominantly black area, must be a ghetto. People have uh, always seen it that way or historically seen it that way. It's almost a, uh, an urban legend, except it's not urban out there. Blaine's wife, Faye Beekman. In the 80s and 90s, I was a juvenile probation officer. And I would go into East Jackson looking for kids, but I was always told not to or to not go by myself. A lot of times law enforcement wouldn't go if they were called out there because they had their own law enforcement. You just weren't supposed to do that, which was completely ridiculous. I, you know, I was always treated right when I went out there, even if I was chasing somebody's kid. The racism in this county started way before Faye's time as a probation officer. Waverly was founded before the Civil War by people from the South. Ohio was a free state, so they couldn't have slaves, but they took their beliefs with them. Nothing about Pike County's racial uh, profile before the Civil War was particularly unique. Every county in Ohio, in southern Ohio anyway, pretty much had the same problems. You had prejudice, you had issues. East Jackson was saddled with a double whammy of prejudice, race and poverty. From, say, 1860 to 1970, people absolutely were able to say, things are going bad for me, but look, could be worse out in East Jackson. And it, it became the symbol You know, no matter how bad things were going for you, you could say, I could be out in East Jackson. We looked down on them, let's face it, even though we were as poor as they were. But there was a difference. And there should not have been, but there was. And it's been slow to change. 
in large part because of a sign that was posted at the city limits of Waverly until sometime in the 1930s or 40s. The sign said, nigger, get out of town. Don't let sun go down on you. It was a real threat. If you're black, don't get caught in Waverly after dark. Yeah, it's a classic sundown town. I've heard of these kind of towns before, but I didn't realize it was more prevalent in the north than in the south. So what were you able to find out about that sign? Well, I went to the local library to look for clippings or photographs. Couldn't find anything. I also spoke with about a dozen people, all who told me about the sign's warning. Two of those folks are Delmer Burkett and his friend Bobby Markham from Waverly. I just don't remember where it was, but I know I I have seen it <laughs> because it was there when I was 10 years old. But where, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember. I don't think they minded them coming into town in the daytime and doing things. I really don't. But they didn't want them to live there. The after dark thing, I think, was there so no black person would move into the town. And there were not any. They did not come in here after dark. To me, there is no doubt there was a sign. I have a feeling that I'm never going to find out where that sign was. Don't give up. You might. Mm -hmm. You might. I don't know where, but you might find out. According to Joe Harris, who lives in East Jackson, there was a second sign with the same warning in the Waverly Courthouse. He says his mom showed it to him when he was just seven years old. We came through the door, and my mom was right-handed, and I was hanging on to her right hand. And we was going up through here, and I was saying, what's this, and what's this, you know, what's this, what's this? And my mom drew it to my attention. I want to show you something. I mean, you remember this about Waverly. And as near as I can recall, that plaque was in this general area. And it was there. Anybody that went into the court could see that plaque. Yeah, it, it, see, it just, at that time, I didn't even know what a nigger was. I thought it might be some kind of animal, uh, whatever it was, but my mom said, we'll be out. And when she said, it means we're going to be out, I thought, well, that's good. that does apply to us. That sign is gone. But the thought of that sign still exists. The people here feel that that sign set the cornerstone of justice, education, equality treatment, and everything else. That was the cornerstone of what Waverly established for us. It's a legacy that Waverly will never outgrow. I, I don't think they'll ever overcome it. Definitely in my lifetime they won't. Maybe three or four more generations down the road that sign will be forgotten because I didn't teach that sign to my children. You know, I, I know that from my own experiences, this kind of racism hurts, but it can also galvanize a community, sort of us against the world. Yeah, it's true. You know, the people in East Jackson are really proud of being black. 
Okay, so lay it on me. What's up next? Well, some people from East Jackson do choose to be white. And it can get pretty complicated when you're proud to be black, but your daughter says, I'm white. Yeah, that's complicated. Ahead on State of the Reunion. Support for State of the Reunion comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, a growing network of listeners, producers, and stations collaborating to make public radio more public. PRX.org. You're listening to State of the Reunion. I'm Al Letson. We're in southern Ohio with guest producer Lou Okowski, our guide into a community where racial lines have been blurred to near extinction, where people in the same family argue about whether they're black or white. Before we continue, I wanted to remind listeners that some people use the N-word, so be advised. Okay, Lou, what's next? Well, the local myth, and it, and it really is a myth, is that East Jackson is where the children of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings settled. They had four kids, right? Yeah, each was a one-eighth black. One-eighth because Sally was mixed race? Exactly. You have to remember that Jefferson kept his own kids as his slaves, even though they looked white and could pass. And when they were freed, two of them identified as black, and the other two lived as white. Same family, same genes, half saying they're black, half saying they're white. In a way, it's the most American story. Um, You know, we've been choosing our identity since the country was born. And now a similar story is playing out with this family I'm going to introduce you to. Half is choosing to be black, half is choosing to be white. Hey, Miss Clarcy. Hello, honey. How are you? I'm good. I have some guests for you. First, I'll introduce you to the mom. Yeah. Hey. How are you? Good. Al. Al, this is Clarcy. Clarcy Al. Good to meet you. You too. Get your seat. Clarcy Shrek sits in her favorite chair by the window. She's smoking a cigarette, keeping one eye on her two grandkids who are watching TV across the room. So what's going on here today? I got a lot to show you. One more thing you need to know here. Clarice has fair skin, very fair, and red hair. I'm getting my birth certificate out to show you what it says that my parents. Okay, this is how it reads. Do you keep this in your purse? Yes. This is something I'm proud of. (laughs) It says, Harley Harris, and then it comes over and it says, Collar or race, and it says what? What's it say? Negro. It says Mary Marguerite Simmons. What's it say? Negro. Now, the only black that I really have in me is through my grandpa Bird. Clarice's great-grandfather, making her 116th black. When you are raised from a child up and you're told you're black, You're a Negro. Be proud of who you are, what you do, okay? And when my kids were little, I did exactly what my mother did and my father did. I told them that we were Negroes, that you stood up for that name. You you did not allow anyone to speak badly of you. Okay, so that's Clarice. The other two characters in this family drama are her two grown daughters. My oldest daughter, Carlotta Hickson. Mom had a genealogy book with his picture in it. She'd always pull that book out and go, see, I told you I'm black. She stuck by it. Carlotta will stand and fight to the end. This is my grandpa. I told you I'm black. 
Now, my youngest daughter, Allison Manning, hmm, that's a whole different story. I'm way too white to be black. Look at my hair. Look at my skin. I mean, really creamy, cream, 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 lots of cream, you know. Um, let's just go really white with that. And I have red hair, really long, straight red hair, <laughs> you know. I look just like every other white girl. There's nothing wrong with being black, but realistically, I am the palest black person that you would ever meet. Allison, she denies the fact that she's a Negro. I always thought I was white, to be honest with you. And you know, and it's so funny because it's on her birth certificate, Negro. <laughs> I was always afraid to say that I was white because you've met my mother. <laughs> My mom is very powerful about how she sees it. But I got made fun of all the time. Like, I was probably in grade school when it started. It wasn't just Clarice who taught her two girls they were black. The whole community considered Allie and Carlotta black. You've gotten to know them really well, so you should just take it from here. Okay. Well, because the girls were from East Jackson, other kids at Waverly Junior High would do things like this. And they came up from behind me and just threw this deodorant at me. And they said, here, we thought you might need this. Don't black people need deodorant? Keep in mind, this is in the middle of class. Everybody is in there. And the teacher's there. Doesn't say anything, just tells them to calm it down. I was a dirty person because I rode the black kids bus. And over the summer, when I went into high school, I decided that I was gonna transform myself and it was gonna be a new start. I was a chunky kid in grade school. So over the summer, I had dropped a bunch of weight. My hair had grown out a little, you know, I started wearing makeup. And if anyone asks, white, white, white. She came home that night and she said, I had a wonderful day at school. And I said, you did? I said, that's nice to hear somebody that's black tell me that. And she said, I told you I wasn't going as black. And I looked at her and I said, well, I don't know what to tell you when they meet me. They ain't going to meet you, Mom. I said, oh, yes, they will, sooner or later. And this is where the standoff really begins. Allie passing as white anywhere else would be easy. She looks white. But passing as white here, where everyone's always seen her as black? Well, it's, it's a lot easier than you think. Allie found a new crowd of friends who didn't know her growing up. Older kids. I got into cheerleading, and you know, once you get your foot in the door, that's good. Because once I was part of a group, they didn't care. My story was my story. And her story was this. Let's say the other girls asked her, well, can we meet your parents? Well, they're busy, you know, mom's gone on business. Oh, my dad, oh, he works a lot. Great. I have two hardworking white parents and you're never gonna meet them. Let's say a cousin or a kid from East Jackson came up and said, oh yeah, Allie, she's, she's black, just like me, we're related. I'd be like, they're married into the family. I don't even like them. Deny, 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 deny. That's what you do, deny. See? Easy. That is until we get to her sister. She was a total, <laughs> a total witch to me, to be honest with you. I would avoid my sister in school just because every time I would talk to her, I'd have to explain who she was. 
That's my sister. Oh, well, she's black. How's that? How's she black? Allie would say, we don't have same dad, and they got the same dad, or we don't have same mom. She would make up every excuse in the book not to be Carlotta's sister. Actually, Allie would lead a lot of the teasing, or Allie would say things as well just to make herself look good so she was with the in crowd. I saw her cry so many times because people were making fun of her, you know, calling her the N-word. And sad as it is, I stood and did nothing. She did less than nothing. She would help them out. Because I didn't want to be in that group. When they were making fun of me, I would just put my head down on the desk, and they wouldn't know it, but I'd be crying. You know, that wasn't always easy when they'd throw things at you. But was it Ellie who made you cry? Well, sure she was. Allie was more the type that, if you're going to do it, I'm going to do it too. And she wonders why we're not close now. And, you know, you don't forget things like that. You don't forget who made your life miserable. She hated high school. She would never go back if you paid her. And then you have me. And because I stood there and I said nothing, I had a wonderful experience in high school. But what did I sacrifice for it? Me and my sister don't get along. And it's partly, I'm sure, because of how I treated her in high school. I've tried to mend our relationship, but some things you just can't take back. Ten years later, her mother's warning. They ain't gonna meet you, Mom. I said, oh, yes, they will. Has finally come to pass. Sooner or later. Allie, divorced with two kids, has started to date again. And I told my mom, I dread bringing them here. As soon as they walk in the door, the very first question out of her mouth is, did Allie tell you she was black? A lot of people, right around here, has a habit, white people, that'll say, niggers. And so... If she brings a guy or a friend, I tell them we're Negroes. I want them to know what we are. I do. I'll call her to the site or whatever, and I'm like, do you have to do this every time? Well, what, you're ashamed of us now? I am not ashamed of anybody, but I am not black, you know? I am white. Stop doing that. Not too long ago, Allie met someone online. She thought she did the right thing by telling him that she was mixed race. And then she brought him home to meet Mom. And he goes, yeah, she told me that she has black in her family. And she goes, no, not in her family. We are black. She grew up black. She decided a few years ago she was going to be white. I'm like, whatever. I did not decide a few years ago that I was going to be white. I have been white since I've been 12, old enough to say that I've been white. That might sound like nuance to you and me. But to Allie, it feels like a case of it's never enough. She feels when she acknowledges she's mixed race, her mom changes the rules and wants Allie to say she's black. That ended something that could have possibly been a soulmate. <laughs> Get a grip. All because he didn't believe in interracial dating. Should I hate him because, oh my God, he doesn't believe in interracial dating? No, because there's a lot of people that don't. If a man loves you for you, it don't matter if you're green, he would stay. If that man is to be your soulmate, it doesn't matter what race you are. I don't, I don't, soulmate, please. Mommy's on the phone, kids. Come here. Nessie, 
Come here, mommy's on the phone. Caleb wants to talk. Come here, Caleb. Allie's biggest challenge comes in raising her kids. Come here, baby. Come here. Come here, Grandma. Come on. Bubby, go get Sissy and help her in here. This is Vanessa. Here, take this. Talk to Mommy. And that's Caleb. These are Allie's two children. As strained as Allie and Clarice's relationship sounds, they're close. There's a lot of love and support. They talk on the phone every day. And Clarice looks after Allie's kids 24-7 because Allie has a tough work schedule as a home health aide. She puts in a lot of hours, sometimes days, other times nights. Now, Allie's two children, <laughs> they'll, they'll cry if you tell them that they're a Negro. Caleb believes that he's white. He's got blonde hair. <laughs> blonde hair. And, you know, he's pale, really pale, like me. And when you say, excuse me, you know, you're black, he will cry and say, no, I'm not either. I'm white. And she's like, you just ruined those kids. Why don't you want them to be proud of where they came from? I said, I told him he has black in his family, but he is not black. You know, I don't care. He's not black. I, I, I don't even mean, but it's insane. I was married and my husband knew beforehand what he was getting into. He knew that I came from a black community. He'd met my family and said that that was fine with him. And the further we got into our marriage, the more I could see him becoming more and more racist. It was one of the many things that led to their separation and eventual divorce. But her ex-husband still had visitation rights. And during one of the visits, I overheard a conversation that he was having with Caleb and Daddy joined a new group and he wanted Caleb to join it. He said, you can't right now, but when you get bigger, Daddy's going to introduce you to him. And he said, we get to wear white hats and sheets and we get to beat people up. And I walk in the room and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, oh, I didn't tell you about that. And there was nothing I could do about it. You know, he had visitations on the weekend. Caleb would come back and he would say the god-awfulest things. He would tell my mom, you're a nigger. You're a nigger, Grandma. We were sitting there one day, and I don't remember exactly. It was a black show on TV that we were watching. Caleb came up to me and he said, Grandma, you're a nigger. I said, no, honey, I'm not a nigger. I'm a negro. And he said, no, you're a nigger. I said, who told you to say that, Caleb? He said, well, my dad said he's going to get to KKK and come up here and what he's going to do. And I said, Caleb. My son saying that in a community where people are all black, that doesn't give him much of a fighting chance. Finally, he stopped saying it. But thank God he was young enough to where it could be stopped. But Caleb is definitely a mini-me of Allie. Allie's sister, Carlotta. I mean, honestly, he, he acts just like her. And Lanessa, and even though she's only two years old, she'll go around telling you all the time, I'm black, I'm black. So I think, you know, that will be another Allie Carlotta situation as they're growing up. If ever there was someone in your life who made you think, I love them, but I just don't get them. This is an extreme version of that. To Carlotta and Clarice, being black is history, character, love. But to Allie, the choice between black and white is simple. 
Why wouldn't you choose what's easier? There are times when I sit in the midst of a crowd of friends and I hear them talking about the black person across the room, you know, and they're dogging them and how nasty they black people are and, you know, on and on. And I stand there and say nothing. (laughs) See, and that aggravates me. That aggravates me. I could go down right on Allie's front porch. I am a Negro. Would she like that? She wouldn't like that too well, would she? Because they're all white around her. Oh, poor baby. Move in town and try to be something you ain't. You forget you got a country mama, Jack, that don't care. They kind of want more for my family. I'm not going to see mine and let them be treated the way my sister was treated. They don't deserve that. You try to protect your kids. You can't protect them. If I can make a difference and we pass for white, we more than pass for white. So as long as I can pass for white, I go by white. She thinks that because the kids are going to go as white that they're going to be treated any better than what my kid who goes as black is. And to me, I disagree. You just have mean kids. They're going to decide what they want to do, and they're going to pick on the kid that won't fight back. I guess I picked a side, but I'm not really on that side. I'm stuck somewhere in, the, in between. And it's, it's a very lonely place to be in between. I'm sure it gets really lonely. And you know what? I absolutely feel sorry for her. And I know that sounds weird because she has this nice house and this good job and these nice vehicles. And I don't, I don't have all that. But I feel that she's lonelier than I am. Sometimes I thought about moving away, but I love my mom so much and I could never leave her. But in the event that something ever happens to my mom, me and my kids will pack up and we will leave the state and we won't come back. And I will no longer be associated with this area, with East Jackson. It'll all be just a blur. I mean, I want out now, but I can't leave her. She knows that, I told her. When you're gone, I'm gone. Well, I don't want to stand in her way, you know. If she want to leave, you know, she need to go ahead and leave and whatever. And I'm not saying that my way's right. Maybe I'm wrong, but my way's easy. I told Allie about Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings' four kids, that they basically looked white, but only two decided to identify that way. She said she was relieved that she and her family weren't freaks for having this kind of drama. She said it even made her understand Clarice and Carlotta a little better. But she also said she's still white. Coming up, there's another choice people are making in East Jackson. That's next on State of the Reunion. I'm Al Letson, and you're listening to State of the Reunion. Today we're in East Jackson, a small community in southern Ohio. Our guide for this hour is independent producer Lou Okowski. Just wanted to give you a heads up that this story contains the N-word. Lou, what's next? Well, so far we've talked a lot about black and white. 
But there's another choice that people are making. Remember Brad and Sarah Harris? Yeah, that's the couple we met at the beginning of the episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take a listen to Bradley. My birth certificate now is no more Negro. I am, let me show this woman something. I am a Native American. Most of them is Native American. Watch this. Now what this say right here? It says, Catawba of Cars Run, Ohio. It says, name is Bradley Harris. This is say, I'm a Catawba Indian. Wait, weren't they identifying as black? Yeah, you know, they were. But remember earlier we talked about how, because it was so isolated, runaway slaves settled in East Jackson? Well, they weren't the only people who thought East Jackson was a good hiding place. During the Trail of Tears... Right, when the government forced Native Americans onto reservations. Mm Mm-hmm, exactly. Native Americans also hid out in East Jackson. Every family we met recognized that somewhere along the line they had a Native American relative. Bradley was able to find his grandfather on the rolls of the Catawba Nation in South Carolina. And now a group of folks from East Jackson have banded together to form their own tribe. They're calling it the Catawba of Cars Run. And it started, like a lot of things do, as the dream of one person. My mom's name was Marianne Marlene Harris. Every kid and everybody who was in the neighborhood knew my mom. And they always called her Lou. She was like a mother of all mothers. That's Randy Harris. He's the chief. She was set her own ways. I mean... If you told mom the sun came up in the east and mom said, no, it didn't come up in the east and you argued about it, uh, you lost the argument. Since we were kids, Aunt Lou has always maintained that Grandma Floss had gotten mail in regards to the Native American. And that's Lisa Good, Randy's cousin. And she's always, always told us kids that. Honey, we're Indians. We're not black or nothing like that. And as we got older, you know, everybody's starting their own lives. Everybody's doing their own thing. And she's like, look, we need to get back on this. Randy's mom, Aunt Lou, was able to trace their family to the Catawbas of South Carolina. But that's as far as she got. And before she passed away, she asked me if I could get it done to where she'd be proud of it. We need to get started here with the meeting. We're past time. We're at the annual meeting of the Catawba of Cars Run, which has the feeling of a big family picnic. We're at a local park, there's lots of food, and there's lots of kids running around. Okay, we'll start off this afternoon with the uh, notes from the uh, last meeting. April the 4th, 2012. Tribes come pretty far. What started off as Aunt Lou's dream has grown into a membership of over 100 people. Almost everyone's related. Those present were Sarah Harris. And once the minutes from the last meeting are read, Chief Randy gets up to speak. The thing about it is some people has took their geology sheets and haven't filled them out. Now there's a lot of people who says, well, I'm a Native American Indian. Well, we are. All of us are. If you will be proud to be an Indian, that's why you're here today. Let's prove it. Let's get this thing moving. People were closer to what you think we are. The process to become recognized by the state of Ohio and the federal government is long and hard. It's been a struggle to keep everyone motivated. They've been at it for 10 years, and the tribe still hasn't made much traction, officially. The state of Ohio has made proclamations honoring the group's dedication to their heritage, but they've also said they won't recognize their tribe or any tribe. Randy feels the answer is to build their numbers. 
but that's easier said than done. He knows a lot of people in East Jackson who have Native American ancestors, but they won't join. One of the biggest challenges is that people still think in terms of black and white. Here's Lisa. We, in the 70s and 80s, it was, you don't even think about saying Native American. You're black. That was it. You are black. Be proud that you're black. You are black. We're like, okay, we're black. Another challenge is fear. Judy Tanner, the treasurer of the tribe, says the fear has a lot to do with history, what happened during the Trail of Tears. It's worse to be an Indian than it was to be a black person or a white person. It was worse. So those people, when they went back into uh, those woods, they just kept to themselves. They had that fear that they would be put on a reservation, and they would have back then. Judy told me that she has some older relatives, between 95 and 100 years old, who still feel that way. And those are mom's people. They have the fear right now that they're still, in 2012, going to be put on a reservation. And they told me, we will never, ever join your Catawbas. We like you. We know you are a relative. But we will never join. Uh-uh. You're not going to put me on a reservation. They still have that fear, see. It's not just older folks who feel this way. There are people in their 40s who believe the same thing. Here's Sarah and Brad Harris. I've got a son-in-law and a daughter. They won't join. They will not change from the Negro because they believe that they're going to be placed on a reservation. Chief Randy Harris. And I said, the government can't do that. And they're like, but you're going to go to jail. You can't just start an Indian tribe. You're going to go to jail, and I'm not going to go to jail, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you know what? You can live your life the way you want, but I'm going to live my life the way I want to do. I said, the government can't put you in jail for being an Indian. For others, the decision not to join the tribe is a lot more complicated. Brad and Sarah's son, Jeff, is one of those cases. Of all the people I met in East Jackson, Jeff seemed the most ill at ease with his experience. I am not at ease where I fit. He says he doesn't feel black or white or Native American. I always ask my mom and dad, what are we? What kind of race are we? Like a lot of folks in East Jackson, Jeff was raised black even though he has red hair and fair skin. And like anyone from East Jackson, life hasn't been easy. When he went to school in Waverly, kids called him the N-word. When he liked a white girl, she told him they could only be friends because of his race. And in high school, a good friend was beat up for hanging out where the white kids usually hung out. But that was a long time ago. Now Jeff's 50. And after all of this time, the thing that bothers him more than anything is the fact that people still ask him, what are you, all of the time? Last time I had to explain myself what color I was, <laughs> was at a saloon or a bar, however you want to call it. I started talking to this guy and he says, man, I know that I shouldn't be asking you this. He says, what color are you? I know you're white, but you don't talk like a white guy. Just sad. You can't relate to somebody that wants to know what color you are. The only thing that's more annoying to Jeff than being asked what are you is that he's asking himself the same question all the time. It's like I'm living like, kind of like living like in a shadow. Sounds funny, but that's what it feels like. I want to be able to walk and say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I am. This ain't what you want me to be, and this ain't what I'm 
faking the beat. This is me. We're going to take it to the old courthouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, later, Judge. Jeff works in the Waverly Courthouse as a janitor. Most people in Waverly don't think twice about the old courthouse. It's just a place to take care of routine business. But for others, it's a symbol of division. It's where Jeff's uncle, Joe Harris, once saw a plaque warning black people to stay out of Waverly after dark. This is the very courthouse it was in. Yes. It's up these steps. This is it. That used to be where you used to sit up there and watch what's going on in the court down here. That's where my fellows, my so-called people, sat. I can't say that word. Different race of people set up at the top and then all the whites sit at the bottom. Let's just rewind there. After Jeff says, where my so-called people sat, he whispers, I can't say that word. I can't say that word. The word he can't say is nigger. Jeff doesn't think to say African-American or black or colored even. Just nigger. Because Jeff feels so uncomfortable. You might think that he'd embrace being Native American the way some other folks in East Jackson have. But that's not what he wants to do. I just don't feel I'm an Indian. I don't look at, I look in the mirror every day and I don't, I don't see the Indian in me. I want to find out what I really am before I join anything. When I go to my doctor, I'm going to ask him, how do I get a DNA test taken? I don't care if I'm like 10% of this, 10%. I'm going to know if I'm 40% this, that's what I'm really going to go by. You want to know majority? Majority, yeah. I'm, a, I'm nervous. Jeff was able to get a DNA test and he's getting ready to look at the results. Hope it's what I, I'm hoping it's what I'm thinking it is. I'm hoping that I am a white American. You really don't want to be black? No. They got it rough. I know. If I'm going to be black, I don't want to be in America because they don't get a fair shake. I'm ready. Okay, hit, hit the button. Here we go. It says 75% European, so I'm, all, I'm white. Because I only got 22% of African and then only 3% of Asian. So, hey, that's sweet. When they ask me what you are, I can tell them now. I'm part of the community now of Waverly. I'm as white as snow. <laughs> I just can't believe that I'm a white man. I can actually say I'm a white man now. I'm happy. (laughs) I can't believe I should think it's years ago. As I listen to Jeff say how excited he is about not being black, I I, I gotta say, it breaks my heart. Because having a piece of paper saying that he's white will never change how racist people see him. I don't know. I hear you. But for Jeff, it's a big thing. You know, he thinks it'll change him. He feels like it's, it's given him a new sense of confidence that he's never had. And you know, sometimes that does the trick. Yeah, I 
hope so. The one thing Jeff's really confident about, he's not Native American. The results say he's only 3%. Oh, that orange. Man, my parents are not Indian. There's no way. He's worried his parents will be hurt when they hear about it. But Bradley and Sarah take it in stride. That is up to Jeff. He has to make that decision on his own. He is a man. He's got to make that decision on himself to change or else keep it to him to a goose to be saved. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Jeff has no plans to join the Catawba of Cars Run, but he's glad his parents did. He says because they've joined the tribe, they can be classified as something instead of nothing. And that's something he can really understand. So, Lou, we're at the end of the episode. Is there any way to sum this all up? I think it all comes down to choice. Lisa from the tribe says it best. We were always told we were black. Well, we didn't look black. So, for a lot of people in East Jackson, they have a choice now. It's no more, well, you're black and and you don't meet up to our expectations, or you can't have this because you're black. The choice means a lot. It's something that we weren't allowed to choose before. And now that we have that choice, I think it gives us a little bit of liberation. Sometimes the choice is to honor tradition and hardship. I was raised black, I'll continue to be black. Sometimes the choice is an allegiance to a favorite aunt or grandfather. And sometimes it's about making what seems like the easiest choice. The only thing that they all have in common is that they're making a choice. That's what I needed to understand. And when you first told me about East Jackson, I thought it was crazy for people who looked white to claim to be black. I mean, why not just be who you are? But then I realized they are being who they are, every single one of them. Each person has taken a lifetime of experiences and crafted an identity that feels true to them. And who am I, who is anyone, to judge that? I don't care if they came here today and said, you are 99.9% white or you're 99% Indian, whatever. I was raised in black. I'm 44 years old and I've been black for 44 years and there's no way I'm changing it now. Forget it. I will stay who I am and not be ashamed of who I am. Moses was a Jew. He could have been the Pharaoh of Egypt and had everything that he wanted by turning his back on his people. If Moses himself could say, I'm going to be a Jew, if he could do that and turn down what was the greatest kingdom on earth at that time, why can't I just simply be black and be, be who God intended me to be? I don't want to deny the black part of me, but I don't want to deny the white part of me either. To me, I think it would be simpler for everybody if we did just choose to be mixed. But don't ask me why. It's just uh, it's been like that before I was born. It's weird. You're one race or the other. You don't get to be in between. Don't ask me. It's crazy. The other world out beyond East Jackson, beyond the hills, people are so baffled when I tell them about East Jackson. But they accept you, and that's one good thing about them. They do. People accept you. As long as you're good to them, they're good to you.
As Black As We Wish To Be was produced by Lou Okowski with help from Laura Sparrow and edited by Taki Telenitis. Pike Malinowski provided technical assistance. Academic advisors were Beverly Gray, Lucia Stanton, James Lowen, and Jake Babst. DNA testing was provided by 23andMe. The rest of the Sochu staff includes researcher Marietta Sonotis, business manager Bree Burge, director of photography Patrick Berry, and Ian D'Souza. Our intern crew is Katrina Roy, Nick Gunner, Sarah Brooke-Curtis, J.P. Davison, Jesse Wright-Mendoza, and Julie Raw. Special thanks to Anita and Gary Harris out in East Jackson. And our condolences to the family and friends of Frances Beekman, who passed away a few weeks after our interview with her. As Black As We Wish To Be was sponsored by Ohio's Hill Country Heritage Area, made possible with funding from the Ohio Humanities Council. You can see more about East Jackson at stateoftheReunion.com, including photography by Lloyd Cedarstrand. And don't forget, the So True podcast comes out every other week on iTunes. So True is distributed by PRX and NPR, with major funding provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. I'm Al Letson, and remember, things fall apart. Our job is to bring them back together. Support for NPR comes from NPR member stations and the William T. Grant Foundation, supporting research to improve the lives of young people, online at wtgrantfoundation.org. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, dedicated to the idea that all people deserve the chance to live healthy, productive lives at gatesfoundation.org. And the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information at macfound.org. This is NPR.